welcome to episode 29 of the Detours in Music podcast. My name is Laura Rupel, and today we have an interview with Casey Cangelosi, Assistant Professor of Percussion at James Madison University. I hope you enjoy. So hey everybody, I'm Casey Cangelosi. I'm the Director of Percussion Studies at James Madison University. Yep. Um, can you talk about your start in music? Yeah, gosh, probably typical, you know, you, uh, you, you see something cool out there and you go, that's great. I want to do that. And for me, it was, uh, it was just MTV. I'm the youngest of, of three in the household and uh, my older sisters, I mean, just always had MTV on. So I followed suit and it was the eighties. So there was big hair and, and, uh, big drummers, you know, drummers with tons of rack toms, cymbals up high. It was, uh, it was a big show. So, uh, yeah, it was very easy to go, wow, I want to do that. That's really cool. And I mean, that was probably third grade or something like that, like very, very, very young. And my parents had a, um, a little, a little neighborhood dinner hang and gosh, I don't even remember the people's names, but it was a few houses down and the sun had a big drum set in the basement and he was probably a teenager and he played a little for us. And of course I was just blown away and he let me sit down. And I remember I was too, too little. I couldn't reach the pedals. I kind of had to stand up to reach the pedals and, and yeah, I could barely, yeah, reach, reach much on the drum set at all. But that was, that was real exciting. So my parents set me up with just private lessons from him. And then that grew to, uh, you know, they could tell, oh, Casey seems a little bit serious about this. So my father, who's math professor at Utah State University, where I, where I grew up, he contacted Dennis Griffin, who's the percussion professor there, who lucky for me, he had a, a you know, in addition to his full-time job as the professor there, he taught students in the neighborhood, you know, or in the valley. So he, he took me on as a student. And I mean, he stayed my teacher from probably fourth grade all the, all the way through college. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, were you doing like bands through your school and stuff like that? For sure. Yeah. So I started in middle school, like wind symphony and uh, you know, that sort of thing. And high school didn't have a marching band, but I played in the, the, the wind ensemble and the orchestra and the jazz band. And I did jazz band in middle school also. And I was also doing bands like my ska band mm -hmm. in college, my bar cover band at the end of college, um, punk rock band all through high school and middle school. Mm -hmm. So, yep, we had that typical you know, bunch of kids getting together, playing in their garage, band fun, jar in the corner. Everyone, mm -hmm. you know, puts a dollar from there <laughs> every few weeks and then your bass player can buy a new a new guitar string or, yeah. uh, you know, that your parents contribute, you know, a, a 10 and a 20, yeah. and then your drummer can get a new cymbal um, and the band gets better. So now that was, that was, that was really fun. That kind of stayed all, all the way, all the way through. Uh, yeah. All, all the way through college, pretty much. Mm -hmm. you know, of course it got more serious in college and our band fun got bigger, but not very big. Uh, when you were in high school, was there another career interest for you for going to college? Not for college. I liked photography. Okay. That was something I something I I enjoyed. And and you know, of course, there. I think like we all know, it's um, it's not always the sub. 
a teacher that can excite you about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you go to this English class from this certain teacher and you think, man, I hate reading. <laughs> and, then just, and then you go to another one and holy cow, it's the most amazing thing in the world. So I, I think I was a pretty, pretty typical student in that way. And uh, no, it, it was, it was really always, always music. And by the time I was in high school, I had two practice hours my senior year. There was an elective you could take. Mm. So I almost graduated high school early. And that's not because I was a straight A student or really on top of things. I, I far from it. I was not. It was because the curriculum in, uh, in Logan, Utah, where I grew up was, I uh, had a seminary component totally optional, mm -hmm. uh, built into the curriculum so you could take seminary and graduate in four years. So those of us who weren't doing that, it meant there was a, a little more flexibility. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I could have finished, you know, like a semester early, but instead I said, oh, I'm not in a hurry to move on to whatever's next. And I'm certainly not in a hurry to go to college that sounds intimidating and scary and it sounds expensive. Even if you're lucky enough to not have to pay for it, it's still, you're still going to pay something. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, just trying to live on your own and eat sounds really intimidating. So now I'm just going to try to be really, really well prepared. And I remember my, my guidance counselor telling me, you know, it's just probably good advice saying, Hey, you know, you're already in band and orchestra and you've done band and orchestra all four years, you've done jazz band, you know, are you sure you've already got one practice hour? Are you sure you want to take another elective practice hour? Why don't you join the this club or the that club or something? Which again, it's, it's probably good advice, but I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm really sure that that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that was valuable. Yeah. And where did you end up going for your bachelor's degree? Utah State University. Yep, okay. it was it was the safe choice. It was where my dad taught, and was where my teacher was, and I, I just wasn't ready to leave home. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wasn't one of those kids that was like, oh, I can't wait to get out of the house. And um, I feel really lucky. I mean, I think I, you know, was an incredibly immature person. But one thing that I thought was uh, fairly mature, and I, I probably have my parents to thank for that because they both worked at a university, so. They were probably there to tell me, you know, the allure of Juilliard or Eastman or or Manus. They were kind of there to be like, oh, meh, college is college, and mm -hmm. it's kind of more all about all about you. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it turned out to be a good decision for for so many reasons. I mean, there were financial reasons, of course, to live in the same town your parents are living in, and also there if you're parents or professors, you get a tuition break. And it's really, really generous at Utah State. At the time, I think it had ebb and flows and variations of this, but at the time, every kid got half tuition. Yeah. So I was really lucky in that, okay, half tuition was going to be there. And then the music scholarships filled in the rest. So that was really, really fortunate, really, really lucky. And, and um, yeah, again, I, I think my parents were just so wise to kind of tell me like I remember my mom telling me once when I was stressing out about what to do after high school and where to go to college and all that I remember her saying you know you don't have to go to college you certainly don't have to go right away yeah and I thought like wow that's I I, I hope I don't know I, I I hope we tell that to people mm -hmm. more you know because I, I mean I, I'm sure you've seen 
it seems like there are a lot of people all around the nation, of course, that you just kind of go because you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And it's what's next. And yeah, I mean, I can't imagine being a music major and not being totally sure you want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a study at Rice University where I ended up doing a master's degree and they were simply going to figure out what is the hardest degree. Mm-hmm. And they found out at Rice University it was architecture, but second place was music. Yeah, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and my mom works in secondary education at Utah State University. I mean, she's retired now, but mm-hmm. she she said that she had a music student once that she, uh, or excuse me, uh, someone in science and said they started in music mm-hmm. and said, no, no, that's crazy. Music's nuts. Yeah. Like what they make you do is nuts. You know, it's, it's so involved. It's so, so busy. And, mm-hmm. um, but, but Utah State, it, it turned out to be, uh, really valuable because I think for me as someone who really likes to play has a really strong interest in composition mm-hmm. it was important for me that I didn't go to a, a Manus or a Juilliard mm-hmm. because I, I, I went to some of those types of schools you know higher profile schools later mm-hmm. and I, I discovered you know you're going to be a serious composer and study that, or you're going to be a serious player and study that you don't have time to do both, but I was encouraged to do both at Utah state. You know, my, my teacher, Dennis, and he's a composer and a really, really talented composer. And he just thought that was way fun to do in our lessons. I mean, he, he, I think he had a very, um, wise, kind of not curriculum. It's not the right thing to say because I don't know if it was that planned, but you know, if, if you're 18 years old, he wasn't going to shove Schoenberg down your throat mm-hmm. and say, oh, this is really, this is smart music. You should like this. He was going to say, okay, yeah, you're 18. Let's, let's listen to, let's listen to Shostakovich 10, mm-hmm. you know, scherzo. That's kind of like rock and roll for orchestra. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, gradually feed you little 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 bits and pieces until your your tastes you know have have time to absorb them mm-hmm. you know um when you were studying school were your what was your like goal from that degree were you thinking oh i'll be just a, a player or i'll go into education yeah i i really didn't know i i figured oh it's going to be a mix and match i i never dreamt i'd be in a in this the position i'm in now i thought oh a very it's probably fairly likely I'll be at a university somehow, mm-hmm. but I, I never thought, Oh, I'll be the dude, you know, mm-hmm. I'll be the the director of the percussion area. Um, so I, yeah, I think just kind of following that drive of, well, I know I like to play, I know I like to write music mm-hmm. and I'm not really sure how that configures into a job and a living someday, mm-hmm. but I know I really like doing this. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing it. And, um, I always called it the Starbucks plan. Mm-hmm. I always said, well, you know, I, I like what I'm doing so much that even if I have to just work at Starbucks to take care of myself, I'll be happy to do that. And that's of course, before you plan on having a family and stuff like that. So I don't know if that plan holds up so much anymore, yeah. but um, it's, 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 um, it's cool. I've heard, I've heard other people echo that same plan. Like Mark Applebaum is a composer, a real famous composer who teaches at Stanford. And I was talking to him once and he said the exact same thing, but he called it the Taco Bell plan. <laughs> you know, he said, I think it, it's such a privilege to do what we do. And if that means I have to 
work at Taco Bell to pay my rent mm -hmm. and I can keep composing and I can keep writing this really weird experimental music. And there's a small cluster of people who are really, really devoted to it and will play it and will talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's worth working at Taco Bell for. Like, that's totally fine. So that was kind of, you know, I mean, that, that was always the plan, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, what's something you struggled with in your undergraduate degree? Everything. <laughs> I mean, anything I wasn't just excited about. Mm -hmm. You know, music history won so hard. Mm -hmm. 20th century music, easy. Mm -hmm. Just loved it. You know, I mean, just just thought it was interesting. You know, now I'm older, I, I don't, I think they're both really interesting. Um, even down to percussion playing, you know, my teacher assigns me a specific thing for good reason because he knows it's going to make me grow and expand what I'm interested in and think differently. But if I wasn't interested in it, uh, it was a struggle, you know, and, and there were times when he, uh, he'd kind of just go like, uh, you, okay, I assigned you, you know, this bit. And you went and did this whole other big project or this whole other different piece, which was probably 10 times more work than what I assigned you. But uh, why didn't you just do what I assigned you? You know, so as we, I think he was kind of glad, but also like, uh, come on, <laughs> you know. Um, is there advice that you hear yourself giving your students just all the time? Oh gosh, I'm sure there is. Hang in there. Don't worry about uh, getting it all done so fast. And you you grow fast, and you don't see yourself growing. Mm -hmm. and I, I have actually said this to students a lot when they you know they they talk about how hard they're working and they don't see themselves getting better. And I I try to try to kind of relate it to siblings. Mm -hmm. Like when you uh, you have a sibling and you see them in the house every day, and you grow up together, you don't really notice the in each other. Mm -hmm. if they go away for a summer and then come back, you go, Whoa, Holy crap. You're, you look totally different, mm -hmm. you know, and having a, you know, having a toddler right now, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he just changes so, so fast. You mm -hmm. know, if I go away on a trip or something, come back a week later, I mean, he's different, you know? So siblings do that. And the same way you wouldn't notice growth and change in a sibling, mm -hmm. it's the same way in your playing, you know, you don't necessarily see it as quickly. But if you were to, you know, if you were, if you were able to not watch your playing grow step by incremental teeny little microscopic step, you would see you've done, you've done a ton. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I'm sure you've had the experience where, you know, you come back from summer break and you've been playing all summer. Your teacher just goes, holy crap. Mm. You got so good in a couple months. Yeah. And we're probably saying, I feel like I sound worse. <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And that's that whole, you know, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know principle, you know, because the more, the better you get at your instrument, the more you realize how far you have to go. And, and that's a good thing. You know, I mean, they, they say that is, there's this whole concept of confidence versus competence. And um, yeah, it's why people in high leadership are often very incompetent. Um, anyway, it's a, an, another deal. But yeah, if you're getting that sense about yourself, it, it probably means you're on the right track and you have the right uh the right internal chemistry to keep getting better mm -hmm. yeah because we know it doesn't end you know yeah. yeah um in your professional life have you ever been persuaded to either change your career path or career focus no you know i've had those questions where uh is this going to work out and um 
should I be, you know, should I apply for a degree in composition? Should I study composition instead of performance? And uh, th that decision always came back to uh, financial reasons for me. It's like, well, I don't have an impressive composition portfolio at all. <laughs> I've never written a string quartet. I've never written uh, some of the things they'd probably want to see. And none of the music is impressive enough to warrant any scholarship. But I've got chops, you know, I can, I got chops so I can do, I can do that. I played punk rock in, as a, as a kid forever. So that means I have a really, really fast hand. So uh, I can get playing scholarships. And, and I think that safety net, you know, the Starbucks plan or the Taco Bell plan, it, it uh, I think if you're committed to that, you, uh, you know, you, you don't, um, you, you have a big safety net. Mm -hmm you know, which is not safe at all. You know what I mean? Really? But in, inside in your, in your feeling, like, you know, in your heart, that's safe. Mm -hmm. It's uh, you know, I think a lot of people, they don't make it to where they want to be because they, uh, it's not that they're not good enough. They're totally good enough, but they're just not willing to work that hard for that long. Mm -hmm. And I feel like anyone can work really hard for a couple of years, but like, can you, can you tolerate, um, you know, living on beans and rice for, for a few years after college and then a few more years. And then if you want to quote, make it in New York city, like, yeah, you can do that, but you got to plan on being beans and rice for like 12 years before you're subbing for that person on the Broadway circuit. And you're finally like getting your foot in the door. And, mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, I think as we know, it's, it's not just about being good. It's about being persistent and, and sticking with it. You know, and then will life allow you to do that too? You know, will life allow you to be persistent? Because yeah, my my uh, <laughs> my my Starbucks plan is great if it's just me. Yeah. You know, if it's just me, well, 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 fine. You know, life things in life will happen. You know, and I don't even mean just like getting married, having a having a child or something. I mean like, well, what if you you know what if you fall in love and and their parents are like, what you you work at? Starbucks so you can play your little weird compositions and that's not and then all of a sudden you feel like oh geez I should really I should really get my uh, financial life in order and is this selfish that I'm just doing these things for myself and that was a cool plan my parents thought it was cool I thought it was cool but now I've got a you know a partner's parents who think it's absurd I don't know it's totally hypothetical yeah. it's not not what happened to me but I think that that's very common life happens or, or even bigger misfortunes happen I and mean, people bump into real misfortunes and then all of a sudden, yeah, they can't just pursue their dreams in this lofty carefree kind of style. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, your choice to persist, but also life allowing you to persist through it all. Um, do you think that you've had any musical detour moments in your career? And this can be like very small scale or, bigger yeah I've, I've thought about that and i yeah i mean since you know the beginning of when we envisioned this podcast and you know the the name you came up with which again i think is just just fantastic and uh it it reminds me of a a meeting <laughs> i had here at jmu george sparks our our, our lovely dean and uh, a bunch of us new faculty were having a little a little meeting and he just wanted to know tell me something about yourself, not art related. Yeah. And we went around the table and everyone had these really interesting things to say. And I remember George's, cause it was really interesting. He said, I've been running 
out, like running outside uh, every day since he was like 20 or something, like, like forever, you know, for a tillion years, he's been running outside consistently. I thought like, wow, that's, that's really cool. And and it came around to me and I, I came up with something, you know, but it was, it wasn't anything good. Mm. And I think it's kind of, it's almost a point. It's like, it's kind of haunting me at this, at this time. Like, geez, I'm not interesting outside of this career. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that is no, it's like really, really all I, all I do. And, and I'm, and I'm happy with that. I'm fine with that. But, um, you know, I read books like people do and I watch Netflix binges like people do and, and stuff like that. But none of that is as cool as, uh, you know, I'm Dave Pope and I can calligraphy, make beautiful calligraphy. Those of you who don't know, he's our, he's a colleague here at JMU, our sax professor. He does that. It's amazing. Or Ian Zook down my neighbor, Ian Zook, our horn professor, he's out running every day. And, I, I think that's that's cool. Like I play racquetball sometimes, but so what? Who doesn't? You know. <laughs> I'm sure that a, people in your life would say that you have other things that are interesting. <laughs> they they might, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I like to cook, but so what? So does everybody, you know? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> so I'm working on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you what do you think of this one from Bernstein? a plan and not quite enough time. I've heard that one before. Yeah. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you put that on there. What do you think that means? Like what have people been saying about that? Um, a lot of people have related to it in saying like probably their best performance or like their best um, project was something that was very stressful because they were under a constraint. So. Um. Yeah. Well, and it, I think it's, it's kind of speaks to that student for life concept. Like, you know, you're not quite done. And the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So yeah, you do kind of need not enough time to actually finish something. Yeah, definitely. You know? and, and I know, gosh, with myself and with students, having a limit in composition, I think is really important because you could just toy with it over and over and over. I mean, there's so many possibilities. And once you like something, you listen to it 10 more times, all of a sudden it seems kind of bland. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're toying with it again and... Yeah, and the, the the quote here for everybody is to achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not quite enough time. <laughs> um, it also reminds me a little bit uh Evelyn Glennie, the great the great Evelyn Glennie percussionist. She she says she she likes to go into performances feeling just a, a little a little nervous. Mm. And that and that could be for different reasons, but um, you know, practice it. Practice your music, of course, but but if you can if you can leave a little something unfinished, it uh, adds an energy, I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about number four by Stravinsky? It says to listen is an effort and just to hear is no merit. A duck hears also. <laughs> I think that kind of makes sense as to what we're talking about as students of the more, you know, the less, you know, kind of. Um, so I think that I can relate to like being, an undergrad music major you realize like oh you weren't really listening <laughs> yeah sure how do you think how do you think being in school has taught you to listen differently I guess just knowing maybe some of what the composer is doing or what some of the goals could be within the music uh -huh. um, and even with theory like in a theory class you're listening for different things than in maybe a history class or an orchestra 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the great uh, jazz vibraphonist, Dave Samuels, who, who died just, uh, I believe just this last year, 2019, he, um, he said that to, um, you know, to communicate effectively, you, you have to speak well, but of course you also have to listen well. Mm-hmm. So it w- shouldn't it make sense that in music, whether your goal is to compose, mm-hmm. you should also perform. If your goal is to perform, you should also compose. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of back to, gosh, all the way when we were talking back about school, that whole idea of, I, I feel lucky that I had a teacher and went to a school where composition and performance weren't inc- encouraged to be separate. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, yeah. And actually the final project I had the percussion studio do here, um, during this whole COVID-19 blackout in lieu of juries, we did found object compositions. So there's so many times in lessons that it occurs like, Oh, I I really think you should compose a piece that would really help with these concepts we're talking about of tracking a theme and working on dramatic pacing throughout the piece, et cetera. We really need a week to have you, uh, you know, write a little piece Mm -hmm. and and talk about that. And yeah, 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 we'll get to it. We'll get to it. (laughs) That's what I always say. And then we put it off and often don't. But this COVID-19 blackout was a really good opportunity to do that for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, percussionists, of course, as you know, I mean, everyone has a different set of instruments at home. Some people have a drum set and a keyboard and, um, and a steel pan. Other people just have a drum pad. It's just like such a mess. And so there's such a, there's such a, a diverse challenge. You know, everyone's spread out so differently with what they have at their fingertips. Like it's just such a burden to not be able to go to school where you have every instrument you need for your studies. So we had to get a little creative and uh, found objects was, was something. So, you know, this group of students was assigned the kitchen. That was the theme. So pots and pans, blender, coffee maker, this group of students was assigned the garage, um, so on and so forth. And it, yeah, I was just amazed the creativity it, uh, it turned out, you know, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Back to the quote. I I think that's, um, that's kind of how I, okay how I hear it, you know, it's uh, it, yeah. Thinking about listening as, as a, a, a broader thing, you know, yeah, of course there is just hearing uh, as a sense, but um, yeah. Yeah. Listening is a bigger thing, I guess is what he means. Can you talk a little bit about what you do at JMU and what you think the JMU percussion studio kind of stands for or what the goals are? I just hang on for dear life every day, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's so wonderful. Um, I feel so lucky. I hate this blackout thing. I mean, I hate not being there. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's weird. You know, there's a, a 27 in the studio right now, mm-hmm. and I teach a little less than half of them. So, you know, Mr. Marlon Foster teaches with me, who you know, and Caleb Pickering, who you know, teaches also. And uh, while we were there, I mean, it was fine. I, I'm not the ones I don't teach, it's okay because I see them every day. You know, it's just, it's such a hustle and bustle of, okay, they, you know, run into room 108 to start setting up for, for a rehearsal and they're rushing to put stuff away and everyone's helping each other out. And, hey, we leave that, we leave that symbol stand out. I'm going to need it for percussion ensemble next. And it's just like boom, 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 boom. And it's amazing to, to watch how they, take care of each other because everyone's you know undergoing the same same challenges of just busy busy 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I miss that. I hate, I hate, I don't get to, I don't, I don't get to interact with them daily. Of course I checked in with them every week online for studio class, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I don't know. As far as, as far as what we stand for, I, I think we're, we're doing what programs do. You know, we're doing the, the majors, we're doing the, the jazz major, the performance major, the ed major, the industry major. And I think what, I guess I'll just say what guest artists told me about the studio. They've just said, holy crap, this is a really good vibe here. And the atmosphere seems so, so good. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is. I don't know what happened, but it's, it's felt that way to me too. Mm-hmm. It's been really, really, yeah, really nice. Congrats again. Um, we did it. It's really cool. I love the, I've been listening and it's just, it's, it's, really turned out well and it's going to be real exciting to i'm talking about the podcast everybody um so I, it'll be real fun to listen yeah. and see what you do with it at, uh, at at ccm yeah it was great to talk to professor cangelosi about his life in music and a big thanks goes to him as he was my capstone advisor on this podcast project Now I'm officially a graduate of James Madison University, but the podcast will continue and it's all because of his great guidance as he is one of the hosts of the podcast at Percussion. If you don't want to miss any Detours in Music podcast episodes, subscribe to the YouTube channel Detours in Music Podcast. Our whole episode list is also available on my website, laurarupel.obo.weebly.com. On the first of every month, we post episodes onto Spotify and Apple Music podcast apps. In the meantime, you can also keep up with the podcast on the Instagram page at Detours and Music Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you hear the next one.